Today I'd like to talk about my vision for Inspire Kindness. And I thought, you know, what can I do to take the experience that I've had and, and, and leverage that with something that I think would be fun that would make a difference in the world? I've always thought about, is there anything I can do to really promote the beauty and the power of kindness? I got on the website and I said, you know, I'm just going to buy a name here and just in case I have time to do it, uh, I'll have something to start with. So I got and I, I bought the name InspireKindness.com. Paid a little more than I should have, but I got the name and then about a week later I put together a, a two-page business plan summary. Okay, if I did it, what would it look like? And it really had three parts. Number one, the great content, stories, great stories, videos about wonderful acts of kindness. Uh, number two, an entire product line that would really reinforce the kindness theme. But most importantly, support a great cause. And I had just read something uh, that uh, an Atlanta school had uh, had a kindness uh, campaign in their school. And I read the article and, and the principal was talking about how it really changed the culture of the school. They had a year-long campaign. They had the banners, uh, Be Kind. Uh, they had the shirts. The teachers were wearing the shirts. They had the wristbands. They had the certificates, the Spirit of Kindness Awards that they would hand out each month. And he said the parents loved it, the teachers loved it, but most important, the students loved it. And he said the article went into the paper, the Atlanta paper, and I got a call, he, he said, from over a 100 schools that said, wow, this sounds like something we would love to do. Uh, how did you do it? How much did it cost? And so this is kind of the model I was thinking about to take what they've done, go to a school, uh, fund it. The foundation would give the schools that qualify the money to, to buy the, the, the bracelets, the, the banners, the T-shirts, the, 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 the awards, and uh, celebrate kindness in a way that uh, would make a difference. Because in my thought was the grades one through five are really open to suggestions. And uh, if you can put a little kindness in their DNA early on, then chances are they're going to be a little less likely to bully once they get to, to middle school. But our goal simply is to ignite a kindness movement that would have a ripple effect around the world. Uh, when you think of kindness, you're going to think of us. So... You know, what I'd like to do now uh, is just share with you uh, a few of the lessons I learned along the way as a, as a serial uh, entrepreneur, and uh, hopefully you'll take a few nuggets home with you and, and think about them from time to time. Number one on my list is I learned that belief fuels passion. I believe in myself. I believe in the concept. And my belief got me through a lot of bumps in the road early on that had we not gotten through, though, had that passion not been there, that belief not been there, I would have never made it. I'd like to share a quick story with you. Uh, he was in a slump, and he had not won a tournament in a long time, and his name was Arnold Palmer. And a voice in the crowd yelled out, Charge, go for it. You can do it, Arnie. Farmer <laughs> looked up, didn't see anyone he knew, but he thought about it. He stood over the ball, took a big exaggerated swing, and boom. Hits a perfect shot right down the middle, and he gets his first birdie of the day. The next hole, the voice came back. I knew you could do it, Arnie. I knew you could do it. Charge, go for it. Palmer looks at his caddy. He said, I, I don't know who this crazy guy is, but at least he's on our side. Palmer stands over the ball again, and boom. Another perfect shot. 
And Palmer wins the tournament, and the voice was with him all the way. At the victory stand, it came back. I knew you could do it, Arnie. I knew you could do it. And Palmer looks out over the crowd and said, who, who are you, the voice? Who are you? And goes up in the back of the crowd, and Palmer makes his way through, and there he is. The little guy, big black baggy shorts, black knee socks, dark sunglasses. He says, sir, I don't know who you are, but you inspired me today. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, just, just, just let me know. He said, well, Arnie, there, there is something you can do for me. He says, you're my hero, and I would love to play a game of golf with you. He said, I'm Charlie Boswell, the international champion for blind golfers. And he told Palmer how he lost his sight in the war. The grenade went off. He was trying to save a friend's life. And Palmer looked down and said, Charlie, I'd be honored to play a game of golf with you. And Charlie said, well, Arnie, on, on two conditions, two conditions. Palmer looks a little stunned. He says, what's that? He says, number one, you got to promise to play your best. Don't let up just because I'm blind. And number two, we play for $1,000 a game. He couldn't believe it, but he knew he was serious. He said, you got a deal, Charlie Boswell. I'll play my best. We'll play for $1,000 a game. When do you want to play? And Charlie said, any night, Ernie, any night. <laughs> you see, Charlie Boswell had lost his sight, but he hadn't lost his passion for life. He didn't know how to play golf before he became blind. He took up the game to prove to the world that some of us are only handicapped in our heads and our heart. From time to time, we have to walk up to the mirror and ask ourselves that all-important question, and that is, are you doing all you can do to become all you can be? I'll tell you one more quick story. In 1972, I was hired by Orville Kent Food Company, and there was a, uh, but there was a problem. I knew how to hire and train salespeople, thanks to Southwestern, I, I sold for four summers. And, but I didn't know anything about the salad business. That's what they sold, prepared salads to restaurants and to delicatessens. So it was assigned to Sid Caseman. Sid was going to show me the ropes. Sid was 57 years old. He'd sold the delis all his life, and he loved what he did. I'd been there about a week. Sid comes in. He said, Mac, he said, you're not going to believe this. I've been trying to get this appointment for, for two years. He said, I finally got it. It's with the largest chain of delis in the state, over 200 stores. He said, it's on Friday. You want to go with me? Uh, we got, went down, got our refrigerated samples, and went out to the corporate headquarters. The buyer comes out and greets us, takes us back to his office. Looks at Sid from across the desk. He says, Sid, what makes you think your product's any better than the competition?" He starts talking about the potato salad, the number one seller in the deli. Talks about the potatoes and how we cook them and the dressing we use, our fresh-cut vegetables, our state-of-the-art plant. But then he said, Bob, I I've saved the best for last. He said, you're going to love how it tastes. And with that, he reaches down in the sample kit, pulls out the potato salad, and he pops open the lid. And I couldn't believe it. Sitting right on top was a huge black rotten potato about the size of a quarter. But Sid sees the potato before the buyer does. He reaches down, he grabs it, he pops it in his mouth. He says, Bob, I can't get enough of this stuff. <laughs> and with that, the buyer reaches down. He grabs some salad. He eats it. He said, you know, Sid, it does taste pretty darn good. I mean, it was a magical moment. I had just witnessed a sophisticated buyer eating potato salad with his fingers, and he didn't even know it. And you know what? It was for one reason. Sid's unbridled enthusiasm. Number two I'll share is I learned you can't send a duck to Eagle School. 
I'm a big fan of Nordstrom's, uh, and a few years ago I got to have uh, lunch with Bob Metalmoss, the president of Nordstrom's Midwest, and I was sharing with him some of the great service stories. And I said, Bob, you know, with the kind of service you guys give, you must have a training manual that thick. He said, Mac, we don't have a training manual. He said, uh, we hire the best people we can find, and we empower them to do whatever it takes to satisfy the customer. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, we learned a long time ago that you can't send a duck to Eagle School. I said, excuse me? You know, you can't teach someone to smile. You can't teach someone to want to serve. You can't teach personality. But we can hire people that have those qualities, and we can teach them our products and teach them our culture. And you know what? When I left that lunch that day, from that day on, whenever I was conducting an interview, I would think about Bob and think, am I talking to a duck thinking I'm going to convert him to an eagle? And if the answer was no, I would move on. Number three, I learned what I consider rule number one in business, and that is to always give the customer more than they expect. Consistently, Barbara Glantz is a speaker and an author, and, and, and a few years ago she was speaking to a large grocery store chain over 3,000 people at the end of her speech. She put up on the contact uh, on the screen, if you have any great service stories, I I'd love to hear about them. She was talking about creating memories for the customer. So about a month later, she gets a call. And the young man on the other end says, Barbara, my name is, is Johnny. I'm a bagger at the grocery store, and I have Down syndrome. He said, I love sayings. And I thought, you know, each day I'd pick out my favorite saying. My dad and I would print them out on the computer. And, and, and we'd cut out the strips, and, uh, and I'd sign the back of each one, and the next day I'd fold them up, and I'd just drop it right in the bag, and I'd tell the customer, I hope you enjoy my quote of the day. I mean, what do you think, Barbara? That's a great idea. About a month later, she gets another call from the store manager. She said, Barbara, you're not going to believe what's happened at our store. I came out the other day, and one line was three, time longer, three times longer than, than the other's. And I went to get them through the other checkouts, and they wouldn't budge. I mean, they all wanted to see Johnny's quote of the day. In fact, one lady said, I used to come here once a week. Now I come two and three times just to see the smile on his face when he drops in his favorite quote. The manager said, the next day, I rounded up my team. I shared with them what Johnny was doing to create memories for, for the customer. And I noticed a few days later, the lady in the flower department, she'd see a broken flower, and she'd cut it off. And Go out and pin a corsage on, on an elderly lady in the store. The guy in the meat department, he, he loved uh, Snoopy. He would come out and put Snoopy stickers on the meat packages, laugh at the customer. And the manager said, everybody in the stores found a way to put their mark on service. And, and, and we're having a time of our lives. Everyone in this small town is talking about us. He said it happened for one reason. Johnny decided to do something. You know, we all have unique ways that we can put our mark on service to satisfy the customer. But, but I have to tell you, you'll never make an emotional connection unless it starts in the heart. I learned in business the power of what I'm going to call a 212 mindset. At 211, water is hot, very hot. But at 212, it boils and turns to steam. And steam can power a locomotive. It's that one extra degree, just one, that makes all the difference. And you know what? It's that one extra degree so many times of effort in business and life that will separate the good from the great. I mean, think about it. Think about 212 service, 212 kindness, 212 attitude, 212 leadership. 
I mean, how many great leaders have you known that didn't do their jobs and then some? How many great salespeople have you known that didn't do their job and then some? Let's take it one step further. How many great coaches, teachers, parents, great ones, have you known that didn't embrace the 212 philosophy? They may not have known it, but they did. Next on my list, I learned in business, you've got to embrace change. Because change is the key to growth, and even more importantly, survival. Because with change, people look at old problems with fresh eyes. Most companies find it less difficult to come up with new ideas than to let go of old ones. And again, sometimes it requires looking at old problems with fresh eyes. Next, I learned that to succeed at anything, you need to get off the path of least resistance. Procrastination is a success killer. Procrastination can be attitude's natural assassin. There is nothing so fatiguing as an uncompleted task. And here's a tip that I think will help you with your procrastination issues. We all have them. I know this really helped me. There's an old saying that says, if the first thing you do when you get up in the morning is eat a live frog, then nothing worse will happen for the rest of the day. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Your frog should be the most difficult thing on your things to do list, the one you're most likely to procrastinate on. Because if you eat that first, it'll give you energy, momentum for the rest of the day. But if you don't, if you let it sit there on the plate and stare at you while you do a hundred unimportant things, it'll drain your energy and you won't even know it. I have also learned that to be successful, you must have clearly defined and realistic goals. And the key word here is the word realistic. You know, although experts on motivation differ on a lot of things, one thing they all agree on is that, that your strength of your motivation is directly tied to your expected probability of success. In other words, if you think you can do something, you're likely to be highly motivated. But if for whatever reason you think you can't, your levels of motivation diminish greatly. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. And yard by yard, life is hard. And you know, again, success doesn't come cascading like Niagara Falls. It usually comes one drop at a time. Last on my list, but certainly not least, I learned to be successful. A leader has to understand the power of kindness because companies don't succeed. People do. Mary Kay Ash was loved by her people. She was the founder of Mary Kay Cosmetics, and I got to hear her speak uh, many years ago, and she talked about her first sales job. She said she was so excited she was going to get to meet the top guy in the company, and she got there the night before at the reception. She sees him across the room. She makes her way through, extends her hand. She said, could you share with me some of your secrets to success? And, and you know what he said? Nothing. He turned and walked away. And Mary Kay promised herself at that moment, if she ever enjoyed any success in her life, she would share it with others. And when she became successful and walked into a room filled with people, she would pretend that everyone had a sign around their neck. And on that sign were these words, make me feel important. Because you know what? We all want to feel important. And one of the simplest acts of kindness, one of the simplest ways to make anyone feel important is to sincerely listen to what they have to say. Jim Cathcart had a wonderful definition of listening. He said, listening is wanting to hear. It's an emotional process. 
A lot of us are here while waiting to talk. He said there's a simple two-step process to perfect the art of listening. It's listen, ask a question. Listen, ask a question. But a lot of folks, he still use the other two-step process, and that one is hear talk, hear talk. I'd like to close my presentation today by sharing something with you that has nothing to do with business, but everything to do with life. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came her date of birth, and he spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time she spent alive on earth, and only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the house, the cars, the cash. What, what matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are the things you'd like to change, for you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. We could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel. Be less quick to anger, show appreciation more, and love the people in our lives like we never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash may only last a little while. So when your eulogy's being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they said about how you spent your dash? Thank you very much. You guys are terrific.